0: Would you all please pray with me? O mighty one who scatters the proud and fills the hungry, by your spirit, let your word leap in us and bring to our yearning the joy that comes with new beginnings and renewed lives. Amen. There's something about our scripture reading this morning that just doesn't make any sense to me. O Bethlehem, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to rule Israel. Huh? What? From Bethlehem, according to the prophet Micah, who is interpreting the word of God given to him, the one who will rule is to come from Bethlehem. From Bethlehem, the Messiah will come. Huh? I don't know about you, but that doesn't make much sense to me. You know, prior to the birth of Christ, Bethlehem was a place of little consequence. You know, five miles south of Jerusalem, Bethlehem could be called a one donkey town. In the very same way, Many questioned whether anything good could come from Nazareth. It is not unreasonable to question Bethlehem in the same way. The Messiah, the one who's going to set Israel free from bondage, coming from a place like Bethlehem? It just doesn't make any sense. Bethlehem had its time to shine in the Hebrew Bible. Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz all walked the streets of Bethlehem. David the shepherd, the psalmist, and mighty king hailed from Bethlehem. So yeah, Bethlehem had a history with the people of Israel, but now when God was speaking through the prophet Micah, Bethlehem could barely be considered a suburb of the recently destroyed Jerusalem. This one donkey town hardly appears to be the kind of place a promise of peace could herald from. Remember, if David, the giant-slaying king, arguably the greatest king of Israel, hailed from this town, yet could not guarantee the security of his nation after his death, how could it be realistic to think Peace and security could come from the same town through yet another shepherding king. Security for Israel could be found in one of two ways. First, submitting to those who are occupying them or overthrowing their occupiers and establishing peace for themselves by securing their own land by casting out their enemy invaders. Now, judging from what had just happened to the temple in Jerusalem, the latter seems far, far, far far-fetched. Especially if you consider the fact that the Roman Empire will soon rule and occupy the region. It just doesn't make any sense. You know, speaking of not making any sense... An angel appeared to a virgin engaged to a guy named Joseph, and apparently this virgin found favor with God. And in this virgin, the Holy Spirit is going to conceive a child, and when the child is born, this virgin mother will name him Jesus. That's the Nativity story. And it doesn't make any sense. And that's the problem with the nativity story. We read it year after year after year. We read it for a month, and then on Christmas Eve we read the culmination of it, and still it doesn't make any sense. You know, making this story even more perplexing, this virgin's cousin is pregnant, and her child will go before the one to be born to the virgin to turn the hearts of parents towards their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous— and to make a people prepared for the Lord. What? Elizabeth, we read, was barren. She was too old to have a child. And yet, her child to come would prepare the way for the child to be born to the virgin. You know, we're not told where or how Mary found favor with God. We have no idea where she was from. We don't know any of her qualifications. We don't know her family pedigree. And when we look back throughout the biblical narrative, these are important things that we usually know about the characters we're reading about. So the scene gets even odder. When all of this was happening, patriarchy reigned supreme. I'm sorry, but a woman's value during this time began and ended with her ability to carry on the family name and wealth of her husband. And we have a woman who's barren and a virgin, joyously anticipating what God has promised to do through them. It just doesn't make much sense. So much leading up to the arrival of the Messiah goes unexplained, making little sense, or worse, it just goes unnoticed. The prophets told the people of Israel the where and the how of the coming Messiah. They knew the Messiah would arrive by means of virgin birth. Isaiah 7.14, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, The young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. You know, Micah told the people exactly where this event would take place. Oh, Bethlehem, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule Israel. That's Micah 5. And Isaiah declared a messenger would be sent to prepare the way of the one born to a virgin. This would happen in a specific town, and yet no one believed it. Separately, neither of our scripture readings this morning make much sense. When we place them together, they become slightly clearer. But come on, we don't read about people waiting it out in Bethlehem, generation after generation, waiting for a virgin to give birth. God promised divine revelation to the world through the Holy Spirit, and many people missed it. God promises divine revelation to us today through the Holy Spirit, and time and time again, we miss it. God isn't talking about us, we say to ourselves. That'll happen to those people, but me, no way but as was made known through the prophets Mary and Elizabeth, one of whom would be a first-hand witness to the empty tomb, this unlikely event to come in an unlikely place at an unlikely time will happen. Yet we learn it was a very particular place and a very particular person. God's great turning point in history is near. Christmas is almost here. The baby inside, Elizabeth knew it and leaped for joy. Elizabeth, who knew who and what was standing before her, said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is your child. What an honor it is to have the mother of my Lord come to see me. And to answer the question to the popular Christmas carol, yes, more than anyone else, Mary knew that things would never be the same. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked with favor on this lowliest on the lowliness of his servant He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Mary doesn't get a lot of attention outside of Christmas and Advent. We might recall Mary in a few weeks as she nags Jesus while they're at a wedding to find more wine because the host didn't buy enough and the party was starting to lose its buzz. We might recall Mary during Holy Week as Jesus walks by her on his way to the cross. And we might recall Mary on Easter morning as we recall that she was one of the first at the empty tomb. You know, Bethlehem isn't mentioned any other time in the church year either, unless we're talking about David. Mary was an unlikely means for the incarnation to take place, and Bethlehem was an unlikely location, and all of this was happening at an unlikely time. You know, it was a time when patriarchy ruled the day. The lowly servant of God was overlooked by all except by the one who created her. Swiss, Swiss theologian Karl Barth notes that men have nothing to do with this birth. It's not that humankind is simply excluded because, after all, the virgin is there. But the male, as a specific agent of human action in history, with his responsibility for directing the human species, retires to the background. God did not choose man in his pride and in his Defiance, And as man steps back into the background, emerging from it is Mary, God's servant, with these words, Here I am, the servant of the Lord, let it be with me according to your word. God's grace is revealed to us in the most unlikely of places. We often expect God to be revealed to us in the mountaintop experiences. But as God made known through the prophet Micah and the writer of Luke, the incarnation, the in-breaking of God into our world and flesh, this will take place in what many then and many now consider to be the wrong place and through the wrong person. Yet these are the places and people through whom God has promised to redeem creation. This is what makes the good news different from the promise of security and peace offered to us by empires and elite. The good news of Emmanuel is a particular promise available and revealed through particular yet unlikely means, in particular yet unlikely places, and at particular yet unlikely times. We can expect the good news to be revealed to us through powerful kings and prophets. But we can also expect the good news to be revealed to us through those we are told are not capable of bearing such a promise or those who had simply forgotten the promise altogether. Emmanuel is coming. Christ is coming. And in an odd and daring proclamation, promising to reveal the grace of God and the people, places, and things that we least expect. The people and places God has already established a covenant. The good news of Emmanuel will topple hierarchies and call into question preconceived ideas of what God will do, not only through those on the margins of our communities, but also through us. God continues to use people like us, people like you and me at times when it makes the least amount of sense. Through two unlikely people, the subversive Messiah was announced. And through an unlikely servant, the inbreaking of God's grace will occur. And in this inbreaking, all creation will bow down and praise God.